0: Yeah, you're already walking up. Come on up here. What's your name? Luke? Luke? I'm Robert. Nice to meet you. Everybody say hi, Luke. Luke. What's your name? Katie, Katie, I'm Robert. Katie, come over here. Luke, also come over here. Luke, can you just stick this to your chest for me? Perfect. And Luke, I'm going to have you just stand right here so everybody can see you. Katie, have you ever shot a bow and arrow before? (laughs) All right. So here's what I need you to do, Luke. Actually, let's just step forward just a little. Okay, right there. Perfect. Katie? No. Here's your goal. See that target? Do you know how to use one of these? Yeah. She's like, yeah, I got it. Come on, Robert. So Katie, what I need you to do is shoot Luke right here in the center of this, this target. And Luke, protect your eyes. And you're gonna try and, nope, not the, yep, perfect. Here, I got you, I got you. Okay, go ahead. I got you, okay, yep. You got it, here we go. Everybody cheer on Katie, she's about to shoot Luke in front of you. Okay, okay. Luke? Yeah. Are you okay? Yeah. Give it up for Luke, who just rest yeah. his life. Okay. So, so, so instant replay. Katie, hold this. So I got it. I got this part. You just hold it and pretend like you're shooting it. Pew. Instant replay. She said pew. 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 Hit him in the leg. Okay, so what happened is Katie sinned. Yeah. Katie just sinned because sin, Katie, I don't know if you know this. Wow. Sin is an archery term. So in archery, you have a bullseye. So pretend Katie shot this. Pew. Pew. Good. Boom. Bullseye. You guys see that? Good job, Katie. Nailed it. Katie didn't actually do that. What Katie did is she missed by that much. That distance from the bullseye to where Katie hit is actually called sin it's an archery term and it's for how far you miss the perfect mark can you guys give it up for Luke and Katie you can keep the target this is my nephew so I got to give it back to him you guys can grab a seat you can keep that target put it in your scrapbook what's your scrapbook going to be called it's fine I'll think of something my summer at Hume Lake. Okay. So how many of you have ever heard that word sin before? Okay. A bunch of us. How many of you knew that was an archery term? Okay. A handful of us. So it's actually anything that's not perfection in archery is called sin. And we're going to be talking about sin tonight. And sin has been around for as long as mankind. So I'm going to go back to the beginning of the story. You guys remember our timeline? Do you guys know the first book of the Bible? Genesis, which means beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Does this sound familiar to anybody? And God creates all that we can see in this universe. He creates the animals, the birds, the sky, the ocean, the waves, all of it. And then he creates mankind. And he creates Adam and Eve. God says, Let us make mankind in our image. Why does God say that? Because God is three and yet one, one and yet three. I'm gonna do this real quick, hang tight. It's called the Trinity. Don't think addition, one plus one plus one equals three. Think multiplication, one times one times one equals one. One God, yet three persons. Not three different gods, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, that's Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. So God says, let us, because God is three and yet one. And here's why that's important. Before God ever created anything, God was relational. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God had been giving and receiving love for all eternity past. So when God creates Adam and Eve, he's not creating Adam and Eve so that he can get love. He already had that. He creates Adam and Eve so that he can give love, to share the love that he had experienced for all eternity, three and yet one. You tracking with me? It's a deep theological thing. We just open up a can and we're gonna close that can. So God creates Adam and Eve to receive love, to share in this relationship. Yet for there to be love, there has to be choice. If you are forced to love, that's not really love. Love is a choice by its very nature, you and I choose whether or not we will give and receive love. So God creates Adam and Eve, but he gives them a choice. And he gives them all of these things that they get to enjoy, except there's one thing that they cannot do or else they will be separated from God. So God's target for them to hit is massive. It'd be really hard to miss. Like it's like the size of this whole place. And there's one little tiny spot that God says, but I got to give you a choice. So if you want to choose not to trust me, not to love me, you can reject me by eating the fruit of this tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what do Adam and Eve do? Spoiler. Yep. Eat the fruit. If they didn't, the Bible would be a pamphlet, but they did. And so the Bible's a really long book and it's a story of God restoring what he originally created for Adam and Eve. And here's what's important for us to understand. Sin separates us from God. And so it begs the question, so Adam and Eve, they were no longer able to be in the garden because if they were to eat of the tree of life, then they would live in this perpetual state of separation from God and God had a better plan. So they're kicked out of the garden, but there's a separation. Now you might ask the question, why doesn't God just ignore it? Right? Right? Like, doesn't it seem kind of harsh? So they, they broke this one rule, right? And they ate from this tree that they weren't supposed to. Why doesn't God just ignore their sin? Because the very nature of who God is, God is just. Imagine a judge, so say somebody did a terrible crime and they're standing in court. Pretend this is court and I'm the judge and the person's up front here and they are guilty, guilty, guilty. And I go, you know what? It's fine. Go, no big deal. And every time somebody came in, I was like, hey, it's fine, no big deal. Would I be a judge for very long? No, No, because I would not be a just judge. Nod your head, yes, if this makes sense. So, because of God's justice, which is a good thing that God is just, He can't just ignore sin. So, it begs the other question why not destroy it? Why not just get rid of sin? He's God, right? He could just like get rid of it, He could destroy all sin, He can just wipe everything clean. Why wouldn't God do that? Because God wants us to learn. I like that we're just open forum here, just talking back and forth. Yeah. Uh, God is also love. His very nature, remember? Three and yet one, God is loving. So God is just so he can't ignore sin. He's also loving so he can't destroy sin. And here's why. Because you and I, ever since Adam and Eve, this sin nature, this desire to reject God has been passed down generation to generation, including us. So if God were to destroy sin, he'd have to destroy all of us. It's now a part of who we are. But God loves us, so God is patient. So God's not going to just ignore sin because he's just, but he's not going to destroy sin because he's loving. And so here we have this tension in the Bible. I need another helper. You in the white hat. What's your name? Bronson. Everybody say hi, Bronson. Watch your step. So, Bronson, you're going you're to help us teach right now, yeah. okay? Have you ever taught a Bible lesson before? Yeah. All right, first time. Cool. Come here. You'll do great. All right. So, Bronson, we're going to put a verse up here. This is Romans 6.23. This is the first part of Romans 6.23. Can you read the first three words? For the wages. High five, Bronson. Nailed it. Okay. It's yeah. already crushing it. Bronson, what is a wage? something like a bet, close. Something that you earn for work. Yeah. Unless you're a professional gambler, then yeah, it would be a yeah, bet. Okay, so a wage. So Bronson, say like, I invite you over to like, help me with a project at my house. And I agree to pay you money. And at the end of the day, I pay you, how much should I pay Bronson? I. Wow. I heard $50 and I heard $10,000. Okay, here's what we're going to pay Bronson. We're going to split the difference. I'm going to pay him 100 bucks. okay? I live in Phoenix. It's high inflation, but it's not California prices, okay? So we're only going to pay Bronson 100 bucks. He's going to help me with the project. Bronson, if I pay you $100, bucks, is called a wage, and a wage is something you earn for work that you've done. Okay, let's keep going. So read the whole thing again to that second yellow word. Start at the beginning. For the wages of sin. Okay, Bronson, what's sin? high five, man. Something bad that somebody does. So you guys remember the archery thing. So if the center is perfection, God's perfect law, anytime we've ever done something bad, that's called sin. Man, you're crushing it right now. How many here have ever sinned? Bronson? Not you. Oh, man. Okay. If you didn't raise your hand, just so you know, you just sinned because that was a lie because all of us sinned. So What we earn, that's a wage, Bronson, for our sin is what's that last word? Death. Death. Okay, so Bronson and I are hanging out. We're like best friends. We've been teaching together for like three minutes. We've been through a lot together. And Bronson, you and I are talking. We're having a conversation, right? Like there's a connection here. But then say like some storm clouds roll in. And we hear a little thunder. And then all of a sudden... Bronson, you got struck by lightning, and and die. Oh, man. Wow. Bronson, you died. Okay. It's a very dramatic, slow. Okay, so Bronson just died. So, hey, Bronson. Hey, Bronson. Bronson. No, 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 you're dead. You're doing great. Bronson. Hey, Bronson. Okay. So a second ago, Bronson and I, we had this connection, right? But then he, he died, right? What does death do? So, so we were connected. But now even if I yell at him and I try and get his attention, Bronson's not here. His body's here, but Bronson is not in the building anymore. Does this make sense? So... Here's what you need to understand. death separates. Which is important to remember, because tomorrow night we're going to talk about what life does. I won't we'll give you a clue. It's the opposite. okay? Bronson, for the sake of me teaching, without you being here the rest of the time, you can get up. Everybody give Bronson a hand. Dude, Crushed it. Go ahead and have a seat. OK. Ronson, you did a good job teaching that, man. I might have you just finish this. I'm just kidding. Stay there. Okay. So here's, here's the problem with separation from God. Religion, which is what, in, in every faith on the planet, it's, it's something called religion, except for what we're going to talk about tomorrow, which is called the gospel. Religion is this. We're separated from God because of our sin. What we earn for our sin, which we all admitted we sin, is separation from God, is death. Death separates Religion is advice on what you and I have to do to try and work our way to God. The problem is we can't work our way to God because what can a dead person do? You guys are so smart. A dead person can do nothing except just lay there. Okay. Daniel chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar is praising God at the end of the chapter. You guys remember this from a couple nights ago? And then the next chapter he creates this giant golden image for people to worship. And he throws Shad, Mac, and Benny into the fire. And they're fine. And there's a fourth person in there. And then he praises God. But then the next chapter, his pride comes back. And so we see this pattern with Nebuchadnezzar that his sin of pride, among many other sins, is keeping him separated from God. And then we get to Daniel chapter four, which is actually written by Nebuchadnezzar. So in your Bible, there is a chapter written by this crazy king who God's going to transform his life eventually through the work of Daniel. No, this is King Nebuchadnezzar writes Daniel chapter four. Here's what he writes. If you have a Bible, open it up. He writes this, King Nebuchadnezzar to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth. So he writes a letter to planet earth because he's a big deal. King Nebuchadnezzar. May you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the most high God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Listen, his words are spot on. He is 100% right. But do you know that your words can be 100% right and your heart be 100% wrong? That you can look like you've put your trust in God by appearances, but actually what's going on below the surface, you haven't put your trust in God? The prophet Isaiah writes it this way. God's speaking through him. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on mere human rules that they have been taught. That's called religion. It's advice. Here are the rules that you have to follow. That's religion. Religion will not save you. It's something different called the gospel. It's news. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Nebuchadnezzar is saying the right things, but his heart is far from God. Pride kept his heart. Closed to the love that God wanted to share with them. Now, how many of you have ever heard of the ancient wonder of the world, the hanging gardens of Babylon? Okay. Nebuchadnezzar's real proud of Babylon because he built one of the ancient wonders of the world. In the British Museum, so I was reading a commentary on this. In the British Museum, there are six columns of writing recovered from Babylon which described the huge building projects of Nebuchadnezzar and his zeal to enlarge the beautiful city. And most of the bricks found at the excavation of Babylon have a stamp on it. And the stamp says this, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, supporter of Asagila, Isida, exalted firstborn son of Nabopolassar. And then in case you missed it the first time, king of Babylon. So that is stamped on like every block that they found when they excavated. This guy loves himself very prideful, very arrogant. And the problem with Nebuchadnezzar and the problem for us is you and I cannot be saved until we realize we need a savior. You and I cannot be saved from this separation, which lasts for eternity, by the way, that death, that separation from God is for all eternity because of our sin. And we cannot be saved until we realize that because of our sin, we need a savior, that dead people can't do anything to work their way to God. We need somebody to rescue us. Nebuchadnezzar continues, verse 4, he says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's good to be the king. There he was, contented and prosperous. But then he says this, I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded all the wise men of Babylon to be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Does this sound familiar? Finally, Daniel came into my presence. He probably should have started with Daniel based on the last time. And I told him the dream. And look at what Nebuchadnezzar writes. This is Nebuchadnezzar writing. By the way, he's called Belteshazzar after the name of my God and the spirit of the gods is in him, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the holy gods is in him. So Nebuchadnezzar is saying that, yeah, there's something about Daniel's God, but my God is who he's named after, and that's the false God. So even though he's saying the right things, yes, yes, somebody's calling me. It's, it's the computer. Should I? No? Oh, they hung up. Okay. So he's saying the right things, but his heart, he's still worshiping this false god. And this dream that he has, it's a massive tree. You guys saw the video with the Christmas tree? He has this dream of this massive tree with a ton of fruit and animals that live under it. And you can see this tree from all over the world. And then there's this messenger that comes and says, chop that tree down and destroy it and spread everything out. And all the animals are scattered. And then there's like this big thing of like bronze and iron that's put over the stump so that it can't grow. And Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and he's like, what does that mean? And so Daniel's going to explain it to him. But this messenger also gives this message and says this in verse 17, the decision is announced by messengers, the holy ones declare the verdict so that, here's why this is happening to Nebuchadnezzar. Here's why he has this dream. Here's why this is going to actually take place in his life. So that the living may know that the most high, that's referring to God, the one true God is sovereign, meaning God is in control over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, which is Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar refuses to call him Daniel, tell me what it means for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Nebuchadnezzar understands in his head that God is powerful, But in his heart, his pride, he refuses to submit to God. So Daniel interprets. This is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree the most high has issued against my lord, the king. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times, and in Hebrew, that means seven years will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. And Daniel's going to give him really good advice here. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. So Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar to do this. Do you guys know what this is? To do a 180 is to repent. Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, you're about to go crazy for seven years and live in the wild and think that you're like an ox. Unless Nebuchadnezzar perhaps... If you turn from your sin and do what you know God has commanded you to do and you stop being so mean to people and care for people who are oppressed, then maybe God will relent. Because when we repent, God relents. And Nebuchadnezzar doesn't listen. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later. So he had a year to repent. A year after Daniel warns him. As the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, listen to these words, is this not the great Babylon, what's the next word? What's the next word? Have built as the royal residence by what? Oh, wow. Get as excited as you did about pineapple. By what? Mighty power and for the glory of majesty who's his focus on? Himself. Himself. He's super prideful, right? He says some of the right things, but his heart is so prideful, he won't submit himself to God. God is so patient with Nebuchadnezzar. He gives him a whole year to repent and he just blows him off. James 4, 6, and he's quoting from Proverbs. James writes, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you want to have God in opposition, just stay prideful. But if you want to experience grace, grace means you get what you don't deserve. Like you get something good even though you don't deserve it. That's called grace. God gives that to the humble. Verse 31, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox seven times. That means seven years in the Hebrew. Will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Now historians will say this didn't actually happen because they go, that's too crazy for us not to know about. But here's what historians have learned. Do you guys know who writes the history books? The the winners, who said the winners? The winners. Gold star. Yes, whoever was the leader, they don't write the bad stuff about themselves. So when you have these mighty nations and empires and they're writing about themselves, they're going to write the highlights, you know? It's kind of like Instagram. Like you're only going to put the good stuff up there. You're not going to put like, today I went crazy and I started eating grass in the rain. You don't post that on Instagram. So Nebuchadnezzar, the reason why we don't have it in history is because he's not going to be like, yeah, I kind of went nuts, because he's going to be restored and he's in control of what's written. Now here's what's crazy. There's a seven year period in the history of Babylon that nothing was recorded. So those pages that are etched in stone were left blank. So historians are like, that's odd, especially for a guy like Nebuchadnezzar who bragged about every little tiny thing that he ever accomplished. For seven years, he was quiet. So now historians and archeologists are going, we think the Bible's legit that he actually went crazy for seven years and disappeared. Here's what I love about this story. God loves Nebuchadnezzar. Think about that for a second. God loves Nebuchadnezzar. Why is he causing this to happen to Nebuchadnezzar? Now, you guys realize God could have done what we pretended to happen here and just lightning bolt, boom, Nebuchadnezzar's gone, right? God could have just thought about it and he would have been done. But God does this so that he would acknowledge God and so that the world would know so that Nebuchadnezzar would write chapter four one day to talk about what God had done in his life. See, God is doing this not to pay Nebuchadnezzar back, but to bring Nebuchadnezzar back, which means God is patient and God is loving. God doesn't want any of us to perish. He wants us to be in a relationship with him. And so he is so patient with us. But listen, we cannot receive what he is offering until we realize we need to receive it. You cannot be saved until you realize you need a savior. Here's the beautiful thing about God loving Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody look at me for a second. God loves you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, God loves you. If God loves Nebuchadnezzar, trust me, Nebuchadnezzar did way more sins, way more bad things than you will in your lifetime. And if God loves Nebuchadnezzar, God absolutely loves you. There's more grace in God than there is sin in you. That's true for every person here. And if you hear one thing tonight, know that God loves you, but also know that your sin separates you from his love. God hates sin because he loves you. He absolutely hates sin because of his love for you. Here's what sin does. Sin separates. We already established that. Remember? We were talking, boom, there's a separation. Sin also hurts you. You realize this. It'll rob you of the things God has for you in your life. It'll hurt the people around you, and it breaks God's heart when we sin, when we reject him over and over again. And some of us, we're declaring God's praise. We're singing the songs with the band. The band's leading us, and we're singing these songs, and the words in our, that are coming out of our, our mouth are, are true and they're right, but our hearts are far from God just like Nebuchadnezzar. He would say the right things, but his heart was far from God. For some of us, we're saying the right things, but our hearts and and our lives were actually bowing down to idols. There's secret sins in our lives. And we love them more than we love God. And we worship them more than we worship God. That they have a place in our heart and we're just keeping it secret and it's something that we're just too proud to admit. Here's what the Bible teaches. That you and I can be set free if we're willing to be honest and humble, that these sins that trap us, if we'd be willing to confess, confess to God, confess to others, that's not a bad thing. Confession's actually a really good thing. That we can be set free because here's what happens. If I have a secret sin in my life, what I want to try and do is keep it in the dark, right? And keep it hidden. Well, here's what happens is those things, they just grow when we try and keep them hidden. But if we'll take them and we'll bring them into the light and we'll be real and we'll be humble and go, you know what? I don't have it all together. My life's kind of a mess. I need help. I need a savior. I need a rescuer. God, there's things in my life that I know aren't right, God, that you know aren't right. And by the way, God already knows every sin that you've ever committed or ever will commit. You're not gonna surprise God. But until we're humble enough to acknowledge it and admit it, until we're willing to acknowledge that we need a savior... We can't experience salvation. It starts with humility and honest confession. First John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he, that's talking about God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There's more grace in God than there is sin in you. If we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's also a verse in James that says this, James 5:16. "Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be, what's that next word? Everybody say it out loud, so that you may be, Healed. so that you may be, Healed. so that you may be what? Healed. Healed." So forgiveness comes from God, but healing comes from confessing to one another, because here's what happens when we confess to one another. You realize that you're not alone you realize that, man, the things that that I struggle with, you struggle with that too. That, hey, maybe, maybe we can encourage one another. Hey, maybe there's somebody like your leader who's maybe gone through some of the things that you're going through and wrestled with some of the things you're wrestling through. And they can go, you know what, here's what I've seen work in my life, here's what I've seen work in my friends' lives, here's some things that God's done to help me with that, and maybe this can help you, that we actually experience healing when we begin to be honest and real with one another, and not try and pretend in church and go, everything's fine and everything's okay, but we would just be honest and real. Then God begins to do the work of healing through one another. So here's what we're going to do tonight. Tonight's going to be about courage, which by the way, humility is really courageous. Sometimes we think courage is being prideful. Like I got everything all figured out and all together. That's not courage. Real courage is being honest and being willing to be the real you with God and with others. And so I'm going to ask that while the band's going to be playing a song here, we're not going to get up and come forward. We're just going to stay where we're at and we're going to do exactly what the Bible teaches us. We're going to have a moment right now just for you and God in your own heart and mind while this song is being played, you can either sing along or just be praying with God and just confess to God. God, here's some of those things I've kept secret in my heart. Here's some of those things that I've, I've not been willing to deal with. These secret sins, these things that I, I love God and I've, I've bowed down to these idols in my life. Be real with God and know that God will forgive you. There's more grace in him than there is sin in you, but it, it takes humility to acknowledge that you need his help and that you need his forgiveness. And then after this band time where we have this time with God we're going to go into our cabins and we're going to have a time where we can be honest and real with one another and talk about some of the things that are challenges in our lives but right now let's start with being real before God I'm going to lead us in a prayer and then just stay where you're at and do business with God just talk with God about those things going on in your heart and if you don't know what they are then ask God to reveal those to you let's pray father all of us need your help God, all of us have areas in our life that that we're tempted to turn away from you, to turn towards whatever that thing is that gets our attention, that our heart wants to run away from you and run towards whatever that thing is. Could be our hearts are prone to, to maybe wanna gossip about other people, maybe to use language that tears people down. Could be that our temptation is to look at pornography or to lust after others. It could be that it's to disobey or be disrespectful to others, to parents, to teachers. It could be that there's a secret addiction, whether that's to a substance like alcohol or drugs. Whatever that is, God, we want to confess to you right now. We want to be real. And God, I know that you already know all these things but it's important to bring it into the light. And so we take this time right now, God, just to talk with you. Holy Spirit, would you guide us? Would you lead us? As we just open up our hearts.